morning, Moran Park. <clears throat> hey, my name's Chris. I'm one of the elders. I'm sorry, I'm not an elder anymore. I'm one of the old habits die hard. Uh, I'm one of the teachers here at Moran Park. I'm no longer uh, an elder. Your elders are your pastors here, and we continue to pray for them as they continue to seek to shepherd this church uh, into the upcoming weeks and months, um, especially as they are recently tackling, from my understand, is community and our house churches and our house church ministry, we can become part of this and come in and come out on Sunday mornings. And we love, we love Sunday mornings. We want to continue Sunday mornings. We get to have a feast uh, on the Word of God and have community with each other and worship together. That's, that's awesome. But nobody can survive on one meal per week, right? You need, uh, you need to feed throughout the week. We need uh, daily rhythms with other people. We need community. We need relationship. We need accountability. We need support. Uh, house churches and our small groups are, are part of that. And we're trying to just kind of trying to, the elders are trying to figure out how uh, to best uh, unpack that and unfold that and create the community that we need uh, in order to be what Jesus is calling us to be here uh, at Moran Park. If we're not attached, if we don't have connection, if we're not in relationship, we can walk in and walk out on Sunday morning. And if the teaching happens to go south and you don't like it anymore, if the worship's not like what you thought it was, you're gone, right? So we, we've, we've tasted this. This place used to be 700 people. Packed house. And that's not condemnation. on. There's 10,000 reasons why people are no longer here. Um, but it's, it's, harder to, it's harder to leave if you feel like you belong. It's harder to leave when you feel connected with other people. And we want to try to find ways to, to develop, that, develop that here. So pray for our elders as they seek how best to do that. Give them, uh, Lord, wisdom, we pray. Well, we're continuing our series in the uh, Gospel of Matthew this morning. And I want to set this up because I just have one verse this morning. Matthew 7, verse 6. I'll read that in just a moment. Just one verse. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be a short sermon. Fantastic. He's not going to walk us through the text. There's not 5 to 10 to 12 verses he's going to walk through. It's not going to be a half hour long. We're out of here. Um, well, nope. <laughs> but how I do want to unpack this and get ready for this is, is, um, is I actually want to take a step back and just review Epic Story with you. We haven't done this. For a little while. Um, epic story is what I call Genesis to Revelation. Uh, the Bible is not just, is not a systematic theology textbook. It's not a moral handbook. It's a story, first and foremost. It has a beginning, has a middle, it has a climax, and it has an end. It has good guys and bad guys. It has an ultimate bad guy and an ultimate good guy. His name is Jesus. At the beginning of the story, in Genesis 1, God creates the world and he places us at the center of, of things and says, you are my image bearers. You are my royal sons and daughters, my, my children. And I want you to be fruitful and multiply, get married, have kids. And as my image bearers who reflect my glory, reflect my love, reflect my familial care, reflect uh, my divine perfections, as you be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with more image bearers, I want you to go and fill the earth with my glory. That's humanity's job description. With marriage at the heart of that, as kids at the heart of that, with love at the heart of it. 
But the, Satan comes along and tempts us, and tempts our, our original parents, Adam and Eve, and they give in to this temptation and plunge the world into death, sin and death. And of course, the fallout of that is so obvious for us uh, this morning as we look at, it, at a broken world. But the story continues, God's not done. Plan A is still plan A. I call the epic story, uh, the epic story of the mission of God from creation to new creation, where plan A is still plan A. What God set out to do in Genesis 1 to fill the earth with his glory, he will in fact accomplish despite human sin in Revelation 21-22 at the end of the story, where the earth will be full of image bearers who love him and are filling the earth with his glory in a renewed, in a renewed creation. God doesn't scrap what he started. He redeems what he started. He can't be outdone. He won't be outsmarted. He's unstoppable. He's tenacious. He won't quit until he has pursued us and won us, loved us, redeemed us, and brought us there. And then actually Revelation 21-22 is actually just the beginning of the story. Because finally everything is the way it should be. And then we have untold uh, ages of ages of him showing us new vistas of his glory uh, in the new creation. Ephesians 2.5, and and that in the coming ages he might show the the unbelievable, his unbelievable kindness to us, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So, that being the story, he calls Israel immediately after, almost immediately after the fall, calls Abraham, sets Israel on mission to bring his light, his revelation, his love to the rest of the world. But as we know, the Old Testament, Israel launches out on their mission to rescue the world, to bring God to the nations, uh, to bring uh, God's light to the nations, God's love to the nations, but they fail. And by the end of the Old Testament, Israel is stuck because they themselves partake of the human problem of sin. But the promises were made along the way that God will send a king of Israel, a Messiah, who will come, who will die for his people, die for their sins, be raised from the dead, and launch and inaugurate the kingdom, the new creation. And that brings us, of course, to the gospel of Matthew, because Jesus is, in fact, that king. He is, in fact, that Messiah. He is the one that's bringing those ancient promises to fulfillment. The kingdom of God is launching in him. The kingdom of God is being ushered in in him. The kingdom of God is being uh, established on the earth in him. What do we mean by the kingdom of God? We mean that God's lordship, God's kingship, God's sovereignty, God's rule, God's will which is done in heaven, is coming in and being ushered in upon the earth finally and fully. And everything that's evil and everything that's unrighteous and everything that's fallen and everything that's corrupted and everything that's undone is going to either be uh, swept aside and healed or judged and destroyed. Everything that tarnishes and corrupts God's good creation. And so Jesus is that person And as we're getting into the Gospel of Matthew, of course, we're now in Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ is giving, Jesus Messiah is giving his his people now, the ones that he's redeeming, instructions on how to live for him and how to be on mission in the world. To be that renewed Israel who's taking up Israel's task to bring God's light 
to the nations. How to live that way and how to, how to be on mission and bring God's light uh, to the world. Where this Al, Brother Al taught, you know, just a few weeks back that we're the light of the world. We're the, we're the salt of the earth. Uh, people, we're on mission. And so our text for today, in between uh, that first coming of the Christ and the second coming of the Christ when he returns to make all things new, between this first coming of the Christ and the second coming of the Christ, this epic story, we are on mission. And this verse here is missional instruction. The task is urgent, right? People are... People are in the darkness. People are dying without Christ. People are lost. People are hopeless. People need, from God's point of view, people need God. From God's point of view, people need Jesus Christ. Enslaved to sin with only death awaiting them. And Jesus wants to save them from that and bring them into his kingdom, bring them under his lordship. He wants to Unite them to himself so that he can, on that last day, raise them from the dead so that they can live with him and be with him forever and have comfort now and have hope now and have forgiveness now and experience love now and have a foretaste of community now and enjoy relational attachment with him now and come and be made his children, be a, a full-born daughter, a full-born son of, of God now infusing our lives with meaning and significance. So the task is urgent. The task, the mission is urgent. And we're going to, as we go out, as the church goes out, we begin to experience people who, some people are receptive and they want to hear more. And some people are hardened. They, they, they express no interest in, in, in the gospel, right? No interest in the kingdom, no interest in God. It's of no value to them. And we're like dying inside because you know that that person needs Jesus so bad. And they're like this, showing you the hand, right? So their need is so great. But they're what? They're either blind or they're, from God's point of view, again, they're either blind, they're, their heart's hard. Don't know exactly what's gotten in the way. We don't know what's going on. We don't know that maybe, maybe we do know their story. Maybe we don't know their story. We don't know the pain, the scars. We don't know what's happened in their life but they're hardened and they want nothing to do with the gospel. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with the Father. What do you do with those people? What do you do with those people? You pray for them. And we're going to do that at the end of the service. That's right. Matthew 7, 6 has something to say to this. It's one of the most difficult text that I've had to wrestle with in a while. But I love that the elders are having us walk through a book of the Bible. I love that we're going step by step through the gospel of Matthew. You notice that we're not in a rush. I don't know how long this sermon series is going to take. I have no idea. That's up to the elders. They decide to cut it off in, in the middle of it or if we decide to walk through the whole thing. But what I love about going through a text is that you just do and teach and preach the next text. And Chris, me, got this text. And I'm so, I, I am so privileged and honored to be able to, 
unpack this with you a little bit this morning. So Matthew 7, 6, finally we're at the text. But I just needed to do all that to provide some context. Other than this thing, otherwise this thing just kind of hits us like, boom, what does that even mean? Like, what, what, what are we doing? And you'll see it in a moment if it's not already up. Good. All right, Matthew 7, 6. Here's our text for this morning. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The word of the Lord. Okay, be honest. How many of you have actually read that before? Number one. Okay, you've actually read it. And number two, you've been like, okay, moving on. Don't know what to do with that. <laughs> right? This is, what do you, pearls and pigs and dogs and holy? Trampling me and getting attacked? Okay, have no idea, right? And moreover, our text just before this text, last week, Matthew 7, 1 to 5, was about not judging other people. Right? Not being judgmental, not in arrogance, playing the part of God and judging, judging others. This, this feels a little judgy, maybe? Or no? Fascinating. I think this, is, this was such a, this is something the historical Jesus, you know, actually said. And it was Matthew, I'm not sure Matthew knew where to put this or what to do with this. But he's like, Jesus said it, we need to throw it in there. And we need to keep this because it's important because everything that Jesus said uh, is important. Um, So let's take a look at this. One of the steps that we'll learn tonight, here's my plug. One of the steps that we'll learn in the class that I'm starting tonight at 6 o'clock, central office, uh, open to anybody, hint, hint, please come. One of the 10 steps that we'll learn in our Bible study tools class is step four, historical context. The Bible was not written, um, it is written for us, but it wasn't originally, originally written to us, right? We first have to unpack what the text meant in order to understand what it means for today. It's a two-step process. Um, and so we do this step four, historical context, where we want to kind of ask, are there any persons or places, or things that need a little bit of study. I need a little bit of understanding about this person, or this thing, um, or this place, in order to see if that sheds any light on what's going on in the text. And I think we have actually a few things in this verse um, still up there. So what are some things that you think possibly we could look at that might need a little bit of study to understand them? What are persons, places, or things? Good. The different, perfect. The, the different animals in the text that are mentioned, what did those mean? It's not 21st century dogs. It's first century dogs, right? It's not 21st century pigs, my pork sandwich. It's a first century context, right? So what were dogs then? What were pigs then? Remember that we're in a Jewish Christian context as well. Um, Pork is not pork to everybody. What else might we take a look at? What else is maybe a little bit unclear that maybe we would want to take a look at? Why what? Why pearls? Are they, yeah, what was a pearl in the first century? What is that? Is that important? How about what is holy? 
what's that? We can take a look at that as well. So I think there's at least four things here that we could uh, take a look at and that we should take a look at. We won't do all four uh, in detail like what, what I'm about to do with dogs. Let's just, do, let's just do dogs and do a little bit of a background study. Uh, we're actually just going to kind of take the word dogs and uh, go back to the Old Testament and see what dogs were like. Um, okay? So let's go ahead and just jump right into this. <clears throat> let's look at Exodus 22.31, for example. Exodus 22.31. Just kind of doing a word study on dogs. Just looking up dogs, looking for some background information uh, here. This is God speaking uh, through Moses to Israel, who are the covenant people of the Old Testament, right? Those who are on mission in the Old Testament to bring God's light to the nations. They were to be holy. So it says here, you shall be holy to me or you shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall throw it to the dogs. Okay? So your unclean meat uh, that's not fit for the holy people of God can be thrown to the dogs, uh, indicating that they're um, scavengers, maybe unclean, um, maybe not domesticated. We'll see in just a moment. Let's just kind of keep moving. But your unclean meat, you can throw that to the dogs, right? Deuteronomy 23:18. You shall not bring the fee. This one's a difficult one. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Wages of a dog. Here, dog is referring to a male prostitute. A male prostitute. Not a seemly uh, vocation. Okay? Either then or now. So, using the word dog here to refer to that type of unseemly, unclean, um, evil vocation. Not a, not a term of endearment. It, it's the same, yep. Same, yep. So the New Testament is written in Greek. Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, there's also a Greek Old Testament is using the exact same word here. Um, yep, kunon. Yep, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 16, 20. Uh, this is a psalm where the psalmist is under attack by evil people, and they're trying to persecute him and kill him. Psalmist says this, Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And then verse 20, Deliver my soul, Lord, from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. So dog here referring to an evil person. Not just an evil person, but an evil person who's persecuting the righteous person. The power of the sword is in their hand. Save me from the dog. It's a, it's a reference to an evildoer who's trying to persecute you and trying to destroy you here in the, in the psalm. And, God, and the psalmist is, of course, crying out to God, save me from this person. Psalm 59, 1 to 6. Psalm 59, 1 to 6. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie and wait for my life. 
Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and they make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, O Lord of God, you, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back howling like dogs, prowling about the city. So again here, our bloodthirsty men. Um, verse 2. Those who work evil, verse 2. Lying in wait for my life, verse 3. Fierce men who stir up strife against me, verse 3. Um, verse 5. Those who treacherously plot evil. And the psalmist finally in verse 6 calls them, calls them like they're like dogs, prowling about in the city looking for somebody to devour. Proverbs 26, verse 11. Proverbs 26, verse 11. Like a dog that returns to its vomit, so is a fool who repeats his folly. Here, a, a dog is likened to a fool, or a fool is likened to a dog. Um, again, not a term of positive endearment, right? Or just six verses later, Proverbs 26, verse 17. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. All right? Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not their own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. But just a, a wild dog is like passing by, and you just try to grab it with the ears. What's going to happen? Maybe turn and tear, tear you apart, right? Dangerous, right? Don't do that. That would be dumb. That would be a foolish thing, a foolish thing to do. Isaiah 56. <clears throat> Isaiah 56, 10 to 11. This is referring to Israel's leaders who are supposed to be righteous and godly and wise and love and care for the people. In this instance, they don't. They're called watchmen here. So God's watchmen, his watchmen, his shepherds, his leaders who are supposed to watch over Israel and take care of them, are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty or ravenous appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They all have turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Okay, not again a term of, a, of endearment, very negative connotations. No understanding, ravenous appetites, blind, no understanding, turned to their own way. Let's move to the New Testament. Philippians 3.2. Philippians 3.2. Now this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking about Jewish unbelievers who have been persecuting Gentile Christians. Uh, there's other texts that we can, I could point out that I won't give you now, not from Scripture but from other uh, Jewish texts that show that Jews would call Gentiles dogs. Right? They're not the part of the people of God. They're, they're unclean. They, they do unclean things. They're full of immorality. So the Jews... Uh, in general, despised Gentiles and tried not to have table fellowship with them, to stay away from them, not all of them, but just as a whole because they didn't want to be contaminated, contaminated by their uh, immoral lifestyle and behavior. So Gentiles called, I'm sorry, Jews at times did call Gentiles dogs. And what I think is going on here in Philippians 3.2 is that Jewish unbelievers who are persecuting Paul, persecuting the church in Philippi, have been calling the Gentile Christians dogs. And Paul's finally had enough and says, they're the dogs. 
They're the evildoers. Let's read this. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. There it is again. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. They're, they're circumcised, but they don't actually love God, and they're persecuting uh, God's people. Yeah, hard words, right? I think Paul's just sick and tired of, hey, they call you the dogs, but actually they don't love God. They're the unbelievers. They haven't embraced the gospel. They haven't embraced their Messiah. You're the true people of God, even though you're Gentiles. <clears throat> Gentiles just meaning non-Jewish, non-Jewish people. We could go on and on. But you get the idea. Um, dogs are not, I, I have a black lab. I love my black lab. Her name is Desta. It means joy. And she's clean, mostly. And we pet her and we love her and we play with her and the kids love her and she uh, sleeps at the bottom of, uh, you know, at the bottom of our feet in our bed at times and takes naps with us. We, we love Desta. She's a domesticated, fairly clean house pet that we adore. That is not the dogs of Jesus' day, okay? If you've not gotten the point. They're scavengers. They run wild. They're feral. They're dangerous. They run in packs. Think wolves, only dirty. Never having enough to eat, constantly ravenous, dangerous. They're like, your, they're like your garbage disposal service, okay? They clean kind of the roads, take care of dead cor- corpses and rodents because they eat them. They're vile. Uh, you don't pet them. You don't touch them. You stay away from them. We had these in Ethiopia. Um, there are wild dogs in the capital city of Ethiopia just kind of running around. And uh, at times uh, the government would have to like uh, use poison at times to try to get the the population of the, the wild dogs down so that they didn't become a danger. They were certainly a nuisance, but they wouldn't become dangerous to the citizens of, of the city. Um, Ethiopians would occasionally use dogs as a guard dog, but you had that thing on a leash, and you didn't pet it. And you just fed it raw meat, and you let it be in the corner, and it protected your, your, um, your, your compound, <clears throat> which had walls on it. <clears throat> Very different from the dog that we understand today. So that's the background of dogs. Let's read the text again and see what our next... um, Let's read the text again. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now I'm not going to go and do another historical background study for you because it's just of time on what is holy, but what is probably meant here with what is holy, and go ahead and just keep this one up here, it's good. Um, what is holy is, is food that's offered, sacrificial food that's offered in the temple in Jesus' day, and then once the sacrifice is made, some of that meat is reserved and, and set aside, and the priests have the, the privilege to eat a portion of that meat as they're, as they're due. And it's sacred meat. Not anybody and everybody can just eat that meat after the sacrifice is offered. Only the priest can eat that meat because it's holy. It's been set apart to God. It's been set apart for God's people. So imagine the horror, if you're a first century Jew, if a ravenous, unclean, dangerous, scavenger dog or dogs, a pack of dogs, got set loose into the temple precincts, and started eating the temple food. 
the, the sacrificial meat. That's the idea here. Holy food, unholy creature, the, the horror uh, on the part of a Jew here, um, just trying to get you into their feet to kind of, kind of give you a feel for what that, that, would, that would be like for them. You just, it's just not done. You would never do it. You never take what belongs to God solely sacred and give it to an unclean dog like that. Don't do that. Why? The dog just, the dog don't care that it's holy. It's of no value to him like that. It's, it's worthless to him. He doesn't see it at, like that at all. He has no, no perception that this thing is valuable, sacred, holy, given to God, priceless. Just eats it. It's just meat. It's like a brute beast, right? So that's, that's the point. That's the point here. We'll get... We'll unpack that just a little bit more in a moment. That's dogs, and that's what's holy. What about pearls and pigs? What do we need to know about these items historically to make sense of this passage in Matthew? Pearls in the ancient world were what diamonds are today. Diamonds were not even even really known. They were they were they were known, but they were just it wasn't on the radar map like it is today in terms of like, when you think of a diamond, you're thinking of the most precious gem, right, today. But it's not always been the case like that. The most precious gem of Jesus' day was the pearl, not the diamond. Diamonds were known in India at this time, but they weren't known or popular in Israel. So pearl is your diamond of the day. Even more precious in many instances, than gold. And so, for example, we read just a few chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13, uh, 45 and 46, that the kingdom of heaven is like a precious pearl, right? This pearl of great price. Let's read that, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Think of the most priceless diamond upon the face of the earth. The kingdom of heaven is like that. I don't know, worth what? Ten, hundred million dollars, whatever it is. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than that. It's like a pearl. So that's pearls. How about pigs? Well, we know today that Jews don't eat pigs because they're unclean. But where does that come from? It comes from Deuteronomy 14.8. It's repeated earlier in Leviticus, but I'll just read the Deuteronomy text. Pigs were also considered an unclean animal and was forbidden to Jews to eat because they were unclean. So Deuteronomy 14.8, the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, their carcasses you shall not touch. Interestingly, pigs are, are mentioned much less in the Old Testament than dogs are. Dogs were the epitome of the unclean animal in the Old Testament. Pigs are barely mentioned. But pigs become so important in Jesus' day because Romans and Jews had to live on the same planet uh, and had to, remember, it's the Roman Empire that's in place in the time of Jesus. And Romans loved pork. Mm. 
it was the like supreme delicacy to have pork, a whole pig, on a platter, on the table for a meal. That was like, that was like, we're going to eat good tonight, ladies. We're going to eat good tonight, guys. Uh, that's like what you offered for turkey dinner. And in place of turkey, that would be, it would be pig. And so Jews and Romans, so this became an increasingly, uh, increasing place of friction because while pigs wasn't super important to, to Jews as an unclean animal, they didn't eat it, obviously, this didn't become increasingly a place of conflict until the Roman Empire took control and Romans invaded um, Palestine. And they would throw it in their face. And it would be a source of intense conflict. So the pig then becomes this intense, unclean animal which disgusted a Jewish audience. So let's go ahead and read, reread now Matthew 7, verse 6. Again, try to put this all together. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. What's going on here? I think we have a person throwing priceless pearls before pigs that think it might be food, but then recognize the pearls are not food. The pearls are of no value to the pig, thinking it's swill or slop or whatever pigs eat. I've never been a farmer. They end up trampling them underfoot when they realize it's worthless to them. The pearl, which is worth over $100 million, is of no use to a pig. What am I supposed to do with this thing? Give me slop. Give me swill. Feed me, right? It's, it's worthless. So they end up trampling it and then becoming agitated. And we have, we have documented evidence of this both now and then that wild pigs can, in fact, turn and attack if provoked. So what's going on here? Jesus is saying the kingdom to some people is of no, it's no value to them. They hear about it. They hear about the kingdom. They hear about Jesus Christ, the priceless son of God who's come and given his life for them. And it's not just worthless to them and of no value to them. They have no interest but it irritates them and angers them so that they turn in violence against the messenger. So the heart is revealed by the response. It's not just, eh, I'm all right, I'm good. But the heart responds with violence. The heart responds with animosity. The heart responds with hatred in such a way that you are attacked, persecuted, perhaps violently. So the dogs devour the holy food, having no thought to its sacred nature. They thus defile the food and take no further thought about it. The food meant for God's holy people has been defiled and wasted. For the pigs, the pearls are no of that value. Pearls have also been defiled and wasted. Indeed, the person is attacked. So I believe here, despite the fact that this is so difficult for us to think that Jesus would ever say something like this, the dog and the pig represent people 
who not only assess that Jesus and the kingdom of the gospel, the gospel and the kingdom that he's bringing are worthless to them, but they actually become hostile, hostile in their response to the message and the messenger. And Jesus is saying in such a situation, you should not waste their time or yours. Move on. Move on and find a heart that's open and receptive and wants to hear the gospel. What? Now, we would never just take this verse, right? There has to be balance. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. This is not just like going to be our like life verse. All right? There's other scriptures that inform and provide some balance uh, to this. So let's talk about this. I have some concluding applications that I think flow out of this that I want to balance with other scriptures. These are incredibly difficult words. Let me have and just share a few thoughts. First, this text is not saying that Jesus is ever permanently done with anyone. If they're not dead, God's not done. If they're not dead, God's not done. God loves everyone, even his enemies. So much so that he sent his son, his, press, his precious to him, priceless son of God, sent his very own son to come into our slop, our mess that we've created, to become a lowly human being, be executed on a shameful cross, naked with six-inch nails put through his hands and his legs, and the only thing that held him there was not the nails, was the love that he had for us. He died in our place, died a substitutionary death, died the death that we deserved while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies. So what? And he did that for us so that we could be forgiven and set free and become his people and enjoy that new creation and be with him forever. Okay, he did that for you because he loves you. He did that for them out there because he loves them. So don't hear this verse that God doesn't love certain, he loves certain people and he doesn't love certain people. He loves everyone and he proved it forever. He proved it, he demonstrated forever that he loves you and he loves them on that cross. Full stop. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet his enemies. Christ died for us. So this text is not teaching that God gives up or that God's love has run dry or that he only loves some people. We read this text in light of the larger context of the New Testament and the broader theme of God's love for all in Christ no matter what anyone does. Uh, number two. I would say we need to be very careful how we apply this text. It takes wisdom 
and care and community discernment, right? We could easily use this text. I just saw the hashtag, hashtag fight me. Hashtag fight me, which means like, bite me. Like, take me on. I'm really just angry and grumpy and I want to fight somebody. Doesn't it kind of feel like that's our culture right now? Just kind of angry, right? And so we don't need any further help to try to like be like us versus them mentality. You know, those people over there, the people that tend to be those people that I don't like or don't agree with me or don't look like me or smell like me. Those people out there, those people over there that I don't like, that don't agree with me, those are the dogs and pigs. So let's be really careful not to put the people that we don't like into the cat, this conveniently place them in this category, okay? That is not where we're supposed to go with this text. We're all sinners saved by grace. We don't dare use this text as an excuse to conveniently brand someone we don't like or a group of people we despise or their cause we despise as dogs and pigs who are unworthy of the gospel or the love of Christ. It certainly doesn't give us any permission to use, call, name call people dogs and pigs. Number three, we also don't want to use this text as an excuse to not share the gospel with people. Don't use this text as an excuse to not share the gospel with people. You, church, me, we're on mission. We have the most important message that's ever been given to anybody in the history of the world. And we're on mission and we need to share it. Share it with our lives. Share it, yes, share it with your lips. People need to hear it. So let's not use this text as a, as a lazy excuse to be like, they're going to reject me anyway. They're probably going to argue with me. I'm not going to use that as an excuse to not share it with anybody. People need to hear the message. And they need to hear it from you. And, they, and we need to earn that right. I get that. We need to earn the right to share the gospel. If I'm living it before somebody, patients at my workplace, and they ask me, or I get an opportunity to kind of share the gospel message about Jesus and what, what he's done for me, I'm gonna, I need to take that. So don't use this text as a lazy excuse to not share the gospel with anybody. So what do I think this has to contribute to us this morning? We need to remember that we're on an urgent mission. Souls are at stake. If you don't understand that souls are at stake, that lives are at stake, that eternal, eternal destinies are at stake. If that hasn't if you haven't been in the presence of God and that hasn't like shaken you to the core at any time in your life, that eternal destinies are at stake with the gospel message, then the urgency of the gospel hasn't gripped our souls and this text may not be put in its proper context for us. We're to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of Christ to a dying world. And there's only so many of us. And there's, even on good numbers, there's now 8 billion people in the world. Everybody that even like is t- 
tied or attached maybe loosely to a church, all told is about two and a half billion people. So that's five and a half billion people who have never, haven't been connected to a church or tied to a church or heard the gospel. That's a lot of people. The, tech, the message is urgent, right? And God's at work. God's at work in advance preparing hearts. But if somebody, if this text is contributing to this, this urgency of this mission by saying, listen, this person and we don't know in advance how people are going to respond. So, so some of this is like bumping up with somebody, sharing, maybe sharing something, and getting a, like a violent response. Like, okay, um, you're not ready for this like right now. We move on to the next person. You don't spend, you don't spend 30 years of your life investing, actively sharing the gospel with somebody whose heart is hard and violently resistant to it. That doesn't mean you stop loving them. That doesn't mean you stop praying for them. That doesn't mean you stop caring for them. That doesn't mean you have to walk away and not be in their lives. We all think of like children and grandchildren who maybe are actively anti-gospel. Like they do not want anything to do with our faith. Right? Doesn't mean we walk away from them. We continue to love our kid. Our child, we continue to serve them, bless them, show them Christ, pray for them. But you stop, like, you, 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 you realize the timing's not right. You realize their heart's just not ready. I had a grandfather who, his heart really, he had a messy marriage with my grandma. And my grandma, you know, bless her, bless her heart, was a believer. He was not. And he became increasingly resistant over time and years to her overtures. Her voice just became so shrill to him. He, he couldn't even like hear her anymore. And he finally just lashed out at her. And I said, said, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. Stop it. Enough. Don't preach at me anymore. She had gone too far. And just a couple years before he died, I, being brand new Christian, 21. We just, he loved to play golf. He invited me to play golf. I was horrible. You know, shafting it left, shafting it right. And he was very patient with me. But we spent this time together. And I, men, I just mentioned the word Jesus. Like I just mentioned in the car. We were finishing up. We were finishing up. It's like I just, I just come to love Jesus. Like Because he, he said something like, your life has really kind of changed actually. You know, what's going on? I said, well, I've, I gave my life to Jesus. He said, don't talk to me about Jesus. The heart's just not right. The heart's not ready. My energies in that moment in terms of proclamation and sharing need to be next person. Find the open heart. Find the receptive heart and move on. And we're going to see this in Matthew 10 where, God, where Jesus sends his 12 disciples on mission and said, if you, don't find a, if you don't find a house that's open to your message, move on. Find the house. Find the, find the people of peace. Find the people that are open. Find the people who know they're lost and need Jesus and share it with them. Um, there was, uh, we were in Ethiopia for 10 years. Next door to Ethiopia is Somalia. 
Somalia is one of the difficult, most difficult, darkest nations of the earth. And if you were to go into Mogadishu right now, the capital city of Mogadishu, and you were to start to share the gospel as a whole, this is fundamentalist Islamic people, you would be dead within 24 hours. They would feel it, it was your, their somber duty to make sure you were dead by the end of the night. Mm. They are not, as a whole, ready for the gospel. But God, in his timing, because there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, there will be Somalis, untold number of Somalis, someday around the throne of grace in the new creation. I don't know how he's going to do it, because it looks impossible to me right now. But with God, nothing is impossible, right? So we're waiting. It's a timing thing. It's a timing thing. Okay, the timing is not, okay, time is not right right now. It's okay. I'm just going to move on. Because God got somebody else coming behind, we pray, that when the timing is right, when something has happened, circumstances has happened, and the heart has been cracked open just a little bit, that the person coming behind maybe can get in there and share the gospel. Our job is to share. It's God's job to save. You be faithful in the sharing and move on as you de- deem. As you deem, and sometimes we need to do this in community. Like, just ask your ask your brothers, ask your sisters in Christ. Hey, I'm I'm in this situation right now. Do you feel like this is a this is a Matthew seven six situation where I, I just I just need to move on. God must do a work in the heart. But God can take a brutish, a brutish, doggish, piggish heart and melt it. And we pray to that end. We also never give up. We never give up. We never give up on anyone with our prayers or our love. Ever. If they're not dead, God's not done. Um, Abby's going to come up and lead us in a final song. As she's playing, I'd like to call the prayer teams up. Uh, Dennis and Peggy, I think. Um, I don't know if Jack and Kathy, you want to come up too. And I want to make our prayer time very specific. If you don't want to come up and have prayer, um, you can do this in, your, in the pew as well. Let's pray and intercede for those in our spheres of influence whose hearts are hardened to the gospel. Not just, not just the lost, but those you know who are lost and hardened to the gospel. And let's pray for those breakthroughs. Let's pray for that melted heart. Let's pray for that timing to happen. Let's pray for that heart to be cracked open, just a nudge so that the God of the impossible can do his saving work. So prayer teams, why don't you come on forward? And if there are people, just one more time, if there are people in your life you know who need intercessory prayer because their hearts are hardened to the gospel, please come. Let's have that be the, let's have that be the, the, the theme of our prayer time.